inspired word that God means to apply to us in an inspired way today. He, he intends his words that he inspired to be effective in your life today. So let's listen with that in mind. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share in me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for serving us. That you, the creator of the universe, would come down to earth to serve us is humbling, to say the least. Thank you for coming to serve us with your life, for humbling yourself in every moment of your life, not taking up the glory that was due to you, but laying aside the glory that was due your name, laying aside your exaltedness, laying aside the praise that you deserve and instead taking the nature of a servant. Jesus, thank you that you did serve us because there was no other way. There was no other way that we might be saved. So Jesus, thank you for the way that you came. You came to serve us. You came to save us. You came to redeem us. And thank you for this picture of your redeeming love. I pray that you would enable us to, to understand your word by your Holy Spirit. We need your Holy Spirit to penetrate our hearts and minds, Lord, and I need your Holy Spirit as I preach. And we pray for your Spirit to, to give us what you promise you are willing to do whenever we ask. Lord, give us your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Kendrick Castillo was an altar server at church, and he pitched in with his father, um, 
at different church events to raise money for charity. His father said he was all about love. One friend remembers Castillo carrying heavy crates of peaches for a fundraiser and helping serve lunches for the elderly, and evidently he and his father spent quite a bit of time together. It was camping or fishing or hunting or working on cars or volunteering. And then on May 7th, 2019, after a classmate pulled out a gun in class, Kendrick Castillo just couldn't stay still. He was surrounded by the friends he, was considered, he considered family, and they were all in danger, and he died as he lunged at the shooter, trying to subdue him, giving other students in his STEM school, Highlands Ranch, enough time to get, hide and run away. His dad, John Castillo, said, I know that because of what he did, others are alive. And I thank God for that. I love him. He's a hero. He always will be. He just loved people that much. As a Christian, Castillo surely took to heart Jesus' words about sacrificial love. Greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. And with Christ as his model, it is completely understandable why this young man, he didn't sit still when his classmates were threatened, but instead he chose to perform this the selfless act of love. There's this account of Jesus washing his disciples' feet, it is, is far more than just about taking care of a practical need that they had. It's about far more than that. And John gives us a clue here at the very beginning. He says, look down on your Bibles in verse 1. It says, having loved his own. Having loved his own. Those who belonged to him, those who were his own. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This this passage, it shows us a greater love than what we just read about or heard about from Kendrick Castillo. It shows us that the love of Christ that's far greater. It shows us this act of Christ's cleansing love that has compelling consequences. The, The act of Christ's cleansing love, it has compelling consequences for us. And the first half of of John's gospel, he typically shows us a sign and then he explains that sign. Now what Jesus, what John does is he gives us an explanation prior to the sign of the cross and he explains the cross with this account that Jesus knowingly did to help explain what he was about to do on the cross. Look down in verse 1 again, it says, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. John's letting his his readers know that this passage, this act of foot washing, it reveals the love of Christ. And it reveals the compelling consequences of the love of Christ as well. The the word for for the end, he loved them to the end, it it can mean completion. It's, it's, It's a similar word to the same one he used on the cross when he said, It is finished. And in fact, this passage is pointing us forward to that time when it says he loved them to the end. This is not the end. We know that this is just the beginning of the hour when Jesus is about to be betrayed, when he's about to go to the cross. So when John's writing, he loved them to the end, he's writing about the fact that this is a sign of his love all the way through and up until the very end. It's meant to point us to something more. And the first thing we see is that the foot washing points us to the completion of Christ's love. The foot washing, it points us, it's meant to, and John, John gives us that little clue in, in the literature. He's, he gives us a clue. He says he loved them to the very end, and this is not the very end. So he's saying this is a picture of how he loved them to the very end. This is a picture of the completion of Christ's love. 
It says not only was Jesus, he was aware that his hour had arrived. He was aware that his time had come. This, this is the time when he was about to be betrayed, when he was about to go to die on a cross. He was about to be punished for all the sins of the world. He was aware of this thing. It says when Jesus knew, he didn't haphazardly walk into the crucifixion. He knew it was coming. It says he knew that not only he was coming, his hour had come to depart out of this world, he also knew something else. Look, look down in verse 2. It says, during supper... When the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, at this, at this supper, he knew not only what was coming, but he knew that someone at that table with him, one of his 12 friends, one of his 12 disciples, one of the 12 people closest to him, who had walked through all of his time of ministry together with him, he knew that that man was going to betray him. If that was me, I would have outed him. I, I would have outed him. I really would have. I would have, I would have said, well, I know what you're going to do, Judas. Peter, James, John, you're going to do anything about it? And I can just imagine those guys would not have stood by. But he didn't. He could have fled. He knew that he was going to be betrayed, but he didn't flee. He knew his hour was going to come. He knew Judas was going to betray him. And yet, in the midst of that, he demonstrates his steadfast love that he purposefully went to the cross. He, he demonstrated his steadfast love through this sacrifice, through this humbling of himself. And he knew more, something more important that, that girded him, that sustained him, that kept him faithful to the end. Look down at verse 3. He says, knowing that the Father, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. You know what else Jesus knew? Jesus didn't just know that his hour had come. He didn't just know that Judas was going to betray him. He also was aware that he was sovereign over all things, that God had given him sovereignty. He had given him control and authority over all things. Now, if I was Jesus and I had authority over all things, I would have taken it. I would have used it to save myself. And yet Jesus, knowing that, knowing his hour had come, knowing that Judas would betray him, knowing that the Father had given him all things, that he was sovereign over all, he did not take that and exercise that sovereign right to say no, to remove himself. This is knowing that the Father had given all things in his hands, that he had come from God, and he was going to go back to God. He had, he had, he had an assurance that, that not only he had come from the Father, but he knew where the end was, that he was going to go back to the Father, knowing those things, that everything was under his sovereign control, he walked into his final hour willingly. John wants us to see that. He wants us to see that, that Jesus knew his hour was coming, knew the betrayer was there. He, had, he knew that the Father had given him authority over all things, and yet he willingly walks into his final hour with this act of love. And he's very deliberate. Look at, look at how John describes the scene. It's, he slows things down so you can see that the whole point, he, he's showing us a picture really of Christ's love. So Christ actually did these things, but he's also showing that these things meant something more as often was the case with many of Jesus' miracles and parables. Look in verse 4. It says, he rose from supper. You get this, this eyewitness account. Jesus, they're all laying there at the table. They would typically recline at the, uh, around the table in the, in the Middle East. They'd, they'd lay on their left sides with their feet kind of sticking out the back. And so Jesus, he gets up. And, and then all of them are probably wondering, what is he doing? This is, this is probably the Passover meal or right before the Passover meal and so Jesus he, he gets up and they're wondering what's he doing this is strange he's, he's the master the master shouldn't be getting up everybody should be attending to him so he gets up though and he takes off his outer garments it says he takes off his cloak he takes off his outer robe he 
strips down to at least his undergarments. And then he takes his towel, the kind of towel that would have been used only for a servant. He takes a towel and he ties it around his waist, and they must have been very confused. And then he, they're all, the, all their eyes are on him, and then he not only does that, he takes off all of his outer garments, he puts on this towel, and then he takes this water basin and he pours water into it. And then he carries that water over, and there must be watching him, and he goes to each disciple one after another, and he washes their feet. Now, this is not any custom of the Passover. He, he took initiative here. He's, he's rising to take initiative. John's wanting us to see something. Jesus says, do you, do you understand what I did for you? You're, you're going to understand later. And later his disciples would understand that, that his rising was a picture of him rising up to take initiative to show his love. He was laying aside his outer garments just like he laid aside his glory in coming to us. He took the towel of a servant just like he took the form of a servant pouring out his life even to death. He poured out water like he would pour out his blood and his blood cleansed us just as he was cleansing the disciples' feet. This was, this was an image of really what Jesus came to do. But the disciples, they must have been baffled, right? They must have been really confused. But they dared not say anything because they probably learned their lesson by now. When they spoke up, Jesus kind of set them straight and so they don't say anything. But it must have been a really awkward silence especially because... The task of foot washing was, was generally only given to the lowest of the low servants. This was a task actually that, that even Jewish slaves and Jewish households weren't supposed to do. They would only reserve this for the Gentile slaves. And if none existed, they would give this task to the lowest of the children. They would give it to the lowest of the servants of the children's servants. This was a task that was demeaning. It was demoralizing. It was seen as beneath people. And... Something is striking is that all the disciples are together. You don't see that anybody else is there. The disciples didn't dare wash each other's feet. They would not want to put themselves beneath each other. And yet now in the middle of this, Jesus gets up and gives them an object lesson. They hadn't, they, they hadn't washed each other's feet. They thought they were better than their fellow servants. And so Jesus gets up and he humbles himself. And he goes around washing the feet of every disciple. I can imagine how uncomfortable that must have felt for the disciples. They must have just been incredibly embarrassed. Think about the picture you're seeing here. The Lord of all creation. The one who commands the wind and the water and they cease. The one who commands and, and someone is healed. The one who gives life. The one who raises the dead to life. The one who heals of all diseases. The God of all creation. The one of whom John has written. In him he, he was the light of life. This is the very word of God incarnate. This is the one from the very beginning. He's the rightful master and Lord of all. And he tells them that later. And he is the one who is now stooping to wash their feet. Often in those times, a conqueror would, after he would conquer a foe, he would take the foe and he would put his foot on the enemy's neck, signifying the subjugation of that foe. Feet were, were not a glorious thing. So when Jesus is underneath of the disciples' feet, he is putting himself beneath that as if he is saying, I, I am beneath you. 
to each and every one of the disciples, even though he was clearly their master. And now he comes to, look down at verse 6, it says he came to Simon Peter. And Simon Peter's never really want to keep quiet. All the other disciples have, have kept quiet up till now. And he comes to Simon Peter, look at what Simon Peter says. He says, Lord, do you wash my feet? This is not really a question, he is, it's an exclamation. He's, he's shocked that Jesus would wash his feet, and so he's obviously feeling very embarrassed. He's appalled that the Lord would wash his feet, that the master of all would wash his own feet. Clearly he didn't understand, so Jesus tells him that Jesus is gentle, he's merciful to him, and Jesus says, what I'm doing to you, look down at verse 7, he says, what I'm doing you don't understand now, but afterwards you'll understand. You'll understand later, Peter. So Peter, I, I know you don't understand now, let me do this, you'll understand later. But Peter wouldn't have any of it, right? He, he just couldn't stand it. I, I can relate to Peter a lot. Sometimes, you know, Peter is the one who, he only opens his mouth to exchange feet. And so Peter says to him, you shall never wash my feet. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't care, Jesus. You say I'll understand later, but I don't understand now. You're never going to wash my feet. Uh-uh, I'm going to have nothing to do with this. No way am I letting my master wash my feet. That's too humiliating. It's just wrong. And he was right, in a sense. And I get Peter's perspective, but Jesus, look down at Jesus' answer in verse 8. Jesus answered him. He said, if I don't wash you, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Now that word for share is the same word that we often use for inheritance. You have no part, you have no share in my inheritance. You have no share in my kingdom. You have no share in my glory. You have no share in salvation, no share in my life, no share in my reign. And so Peter, he's proudly refusing Jesus washing him. And Jesus says, if you do that, you have no share. But Peter wasn't alone. People do that today. R.V. Tasker, he once said, in making this protest, Peter was in fact displaying the pride of unredeemed men and women who are so confident in their ability to save themselves that they instinctively resist the suggestion that they need divine cleansing. They desire to do everything for themselves. Peter would much rather wash Jesus' feet than that Jesus should wash his feet. He would prefer to lay down his life for Jesus than that Jesus should lay down his life for him, but that is not the way it's meant to be. You see, us serving Jesus, us doing things for Jesus, us laying down our lives for him, that doesn't save us, that doesn't rescue us, it doesn't make us clean. There's no way for us to be clean unless Jesus washes us clean, as Jesus makes that clear to Peter. What he's saying is that we have to all humble ourselves. We have to all admit that we need him to clean us. That we're in need. Our sin was so great. Think about this. Our sin was so great that we needed the Lord of the universe to come down and clean us. Our sin was so great that we needed the very Son of God to come down and make us clean because there's no other way that we could have a part in him. There's no other way we could be with him. We can never be clean. We can never clean ourselves up either. This, this passage is not a lesson of, hey, here's how you clean yourself up. I want you to go and clean yourself up just like I've cleaned you. No, I want you to go clean yourself up. No, that's not what this is preaching. This is, this is preaching to us that, that Jesus had to clean us up. And because he's cleaned it up, it has consequences in our life. We can't be clean, but Jesus cleans us. 
We can't be clean on our own, but he cleans us and does what we cannot do. Do you believe that? Do you believe that your sins were so great that it required the very Son of God to come to stoop to clean you? Do you know that you can never clean yourself up? You can never self-reform. You can never make yourself good enough. You must have Jesus make you clean so that you have a part in him. Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, his close disciple, he definitely didn't want to be away from Jesus. He probably didn't understand what Jesus meant. He said, you have no part in me. But he knew that he wanted to be with Jesus and he didn't want to be separated. So Jesus, Peter, Peter just kind of blurts out. He says, well, Peter, about Jesus, just, just, just clean my hands and my head and everything too. Just go ahead while you're there. If, if, if you need to wash me, then clean my hands, clean my head, whatever. And then Jesus says something profound to Peter. He lets Peter know that because Peter's already placed his faith in Christ, he says, Peter, he says, the one who's bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean. He's, he's letting Peter know that through his faith in Jesus, Peter is actually already clean. And yet Jesus is demonstrating the fact that he's the one who cleans. He declares that Peter and his disciples were clean, and if Jesus makes you clean, then you are truly clean. You, you might not feel clean this morning. You might be aware of your sins. You might be aware of your guilt and shame. Jesus came to wash you clean, and when he cleans you, you are truly clean. And then Jesus used the opportunity to explain that although he cleanses once and for all, in the course of our, our travels, we become soiled with sin and all we need to do is come to him and confess our sins, and he makes us clean. He cleanses us from all righteousness. And in First John, that's what John is talking about later in First John, when he says, if, if, if you confess your sins, he is faithful to forgive us of all our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We've been made clean, but as we soil ourselves, we need to continue to, to wash in his blood, continue to be made clean. He says, well, not every one of you is clean because he knew that Judas would betray him, that Judas had not trusted in Jesus. He, his heart was unclean. And really the same is true for everybody who claims to follow Jesus today, that, that not all who claim to be his disciples are really clean. Not all who claim to be the followers of Jesus are clean in heart. And so Jesus is saying, not all of you are clean. And it serves really as a warning for us today. Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him. It seems that he was giving Judas probably yet another chance. I know what's going on. Not everybody's clean. And he might have even made eye contact with Judas. He doesn't call him out. He doesn't embarrass him. He gives him a chance. Judas at that moment could have come clean. He could have repented. Instead of repenting, when Jesus is washing his feet, Judas hardens his heart and decides even more to betray him. After washing all of his disciples' feet, he puts his robes back on. Then he asks me, he says, do you understand what I've done for you? Do you understand what I've done for you? He, he had acted out of love what he was about to do on the cross. His act of love has a cleansing consequence for us. His act of love is, is what makes us clean. He is the only one who makes us clean. He's the one who serves us, who gives of himself, who humbled himself. And then the second thing we see is that the foot washing points us to the consequence of Christ's love for us. 
it, it points us to the consequence of Christ's love for us. The, the, the cleansing of Jesus Christ is meant to have a consequence in our lives. It cleanses us from all sins, but it's meant to affect us, to change us, and have a consequence in how we live. I still remember when my oldest sister, Michelle, she had a sleepover. I think I was like nine or ten, and, and so she was about 16 or 17. She had a slumber party. They were really big back in uh, the late 70s, early 80s. And so she had a slumber party of all these girls, and they went and came over to our house, and they were in the basement, and I was a 9 or 10-year-old boy, and I would like to bother my older sister. And so I would go down every few minutes and, and bother them or harass them or play tricks on them, and, and they would chase me out. And then eventually, um, I came down the last time, and, and I just made an astute observation that it smelled really bad. Um, that was really endearing to them. Um, all of them had taken their shoes off. They had played a game, a bunch of games. They would taken their shoes off, and it stunk. And I was like, you guys stink, you know, because I was nine, and I was smart like that. And, and then uh, they, they didn't respond the best, and then they said, well, you know, you, you think it stinks. We're going to make you smell, apparently, I can't even remember the girl's name, but there was one girl who had a, an extreme foot odor problem, <laughs> and, and her shoes reeked so bad that it would make you want to throw up. And so they took her shoes and they were forcing it on my face and, and, and saying, look, if you don't leave, we're going to make you breathe their shoes. And I mean, I was out of there. And um, I don't know if that incident scarred me or if I disliked feet before then, but I really don't like feet. My family will tell you that. I, I don't like feet. I think they're gross. They're dirty. They're disgusting. Feet are nasty. I think they're one of the grossest parts of the human body. That just I don't want feet near me. I don't want your feet touching me. I don't want to see your feet. I don't want to touch your feet. I don't want to do anything with your feet. And yet, so Jesus, he is showing us that he is willing to stoop to the lowest point. To, and I can imagine the disciples' feet smelled pretty bad. These were 12 guys. They were walking. They were in sandals. They had no access to a bath. And Jesus, he, he bends down the Messiah, the Lord of all. And he washes the dirt, the grime, the toe jam, the stink off their feet. And then he rose up from his place that he might stoop down to serve us in his death. The Apostle Paul, later he explains really Jesus' act of humiliation, that Jesus is coming down to humble himself to serve us. And he explains that it's meant to have consequences for us. Just like John is pointing us to that same thing. Just like John is saying, the consequences of Christ's compelling love for you, it's, it's meant to have a consequence in your life. It's meant to be seen in your life. It's meant to affect how you live. It's meant to affect you, to change you. Paul knew that. He says in Philippians 2, he says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being as full of cord and of one mind. Do nothing Ouch, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. 
And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, when Jesus, he had finished washing his disciples' feet, he puts his garments back on, he goes back to his seat, he says, you understand what I did? He says, you call me teacher and Lord. Look down at verse 13. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. And then in verse 14, look at your Bibles. He says, if I then, your Lord, your master, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. You see, see, Christ's love for us, it has consequences in our lives. It is a consequence. His love for us has cleansed us from all our sins, and now it enables us to, in turn, be like him, and also it compels us to follow in his footsteps. None of them had stooped to serve each other. None of them had humbled themselves. All of them should have. Maybe they consider their own place. Maybe they thought, you know, how it's going to reflect on me. How's this going to look if, if I get up, you know, and just before this, the other Gospels tell us that they'd had a dispute at this very dinner, probably right before this. We don't know exactly. John's not drawing attention to that. But, but we, we know from the Gospels that the disciples had a dispute about who's the greatest. So I can imagine that Peter's thinking, I don't, I don't want to wash John's feet. Well, all of our feet are dirty, but so what? I'm not washing John's feet. Maybe John thought, I'm not washing James's feet. Who Who knows? I'm not going to humble myself beneath my fellow disciples. Why shouldn't they serve me? You ever feel that way? I've been serving so long, I, I deserve to be served now. Now it's my turn. I serve, nobody serves me. And yet Jesus says, yeah, and I, I, I serve you to the end. And we aren't told why none of them took the place of the servant, but I guarantee that most of them felt embarrassed and ashamed when Jesus got up from washing their feet. He says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. What is he saying here? He's saying, I've, I've given you an example that you should do just as I've done. No, they're not gonna go and save their fellow servants. He has done what they cannot do. He's made them clean. But he wants them, because they've been made clean, to go and serve each other. Each of them should have been willing to take that lowliest place, but it's not possible without Jesus changing us and, and, and motivating us and giving us a new heart and a new motive. And so Jesus explains the real motivation for this, this humbling of ourselves and the serving. He says, consider others as better than yourself because I put my place beneath you. I considered you as better than me. And by the way, I'm explaining the fact that I'm going to put my life below yours by being raised up on the cross, sacrificing myself for all of your sins, taking the place of the lowliest, most despised servant, despised and rejected by men. Later, the disciples, they understood that cleansing was only possible because Jesus died that lowliest and most humiliating of deaths, wrapped in, in just a cloth, the cloth of a servant. And Jesus says, I've done that as an example for you. And in fact, that's the basis for all Christian ethics. 
The basis for all Christian ethics is the fact that Christ loved us so much that he humbled himself, that he served us, that he washed our feet, that he cleansed us from all of our sins. And so because of that, he's made us anew. He's given us a new heart, a new motivation. So now we get to be like him. But you know what? Being like him, it means humbling ourselves. Setting aside our place of honor, setting aside what we think we deserve, seeing the needs of our fellow disciples, humbling ourselves. Is there anyone you're unwilling to serve? Is there anyone you're unwilling to serve? Ask yourself why. Do you think you're better than them? Do you think that you deserve to be served more than them, that they should serve you? Is there any job you're unwilling to do in the church or for your fellow disciples here? Is there anything you're saying, yeah, I'm not going to do that. That's beneath me. Jesus says, I've given you an example that you should do just as I've done to you. Take the place of a servant. Do what no one else wants to do, what seems beneath you. Do what's undignified to serve if necessary. Because Jesus has done just that and he effectively tells them, if you're my servants, then don't act and think that you are greater than me. Don't act like you're greater than me by acting like someone else is beneath you. Look in verse 16. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant's not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. The disciples were servants, they were messengers or sent ones, but they weren't greater than their master. They weren't greater than the one who came to serve them. If we refuse to to humble ourselves and serve our fellow disciples, it's to act like we are greater than Jesus. And if the disciples really know these things, he says, if you know these things, you're going to be blessed not by knowing them only, you can be blessed if you do them. You see, the Christian life, it's a life of following Jesus, taking up our cross and following him as he took up his cross. It's because Jesus took up his cross, because he's made us clean, that now we have a, a new motive, a new heart, new desires to be like Jesus because he has rescued us, he's redeemed us, he's saved us, he's given us the ability now to follow him. And so he says, if you know these things, church, you're, you're blessed if you do them. Why? Because that's an evidence of your faith. It's like we learned in James, that faith without works is dead. Not because faith is about works, because faith is seen in our works. Every time we do an act of service, it's an act of faith in Jesus, saying, Jesus, you have served me, so because of that, I'm offering my life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable and pleasing to you. Just like Jesus laid aside his garments, the picture of him laying aside his life, he calls us to lay aside our pride, to lay aside our lives. More than just being an example, it was an acted parable, really, of how Jesus would lay down his life through his death and wash them and make them completely clean. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, you've been made completely clean. Now, if you are human, you continue to sin. We don't, we don't need to get clean again. We can't make ourselves all the way clean again. But we just go back to Jesus and say, Jesus, I confess my sins. Wash me anew. Thank you for your cleansing. You've already made me completely clean. Now, now make me in practicality what, what you've already made me all in reality. Um, as you leave, if you haven't gotten a box of soap, once you get a box of soap, it's just convenient that it has a dove on it. Um, the Holy Spirit makes us alive. Um, I know that's a stretch. All illustrations break down. The, the point of the soap 
it, it's to remind us. Sometimes we need tangible reminders. We need something practical to remind us of something. We, the point of the soap is it's really to remind us that we need to be clean, that we need cleansing. And we need someone to cleanse us. You, you know, you can't get clean without soap and water. I, I've tried. It doesn't work. You can't get clean without someone else or something else cleansing you. And so we can't get clean without Christ cleansing us. He's the one who washes us. He's the one who makes us clean. I want you to be reminded as you, as you look at the soap, as you use the soap, that it's, it's through us trusting in him that he makes us clean. He's the one who washes us clean. He's the one who humbled himself so that we might be made alive by his Holy Spirit. We might be transformed. He might give us a new nature. And, and as a church, we really want to be known by, for two things. Just really two things. And, and all these things are going to bear fruit in so many different areas. But we want to be known for the two things really that are the, the point of the passage. That this is the point of the passage that, to remind us of the completion of, of Christ's love and, and foot washing. It's to show us his cleansing love for us. And so... We want to be known as a church that points people to Christ's cleansing love, right? We, that, that's what we want to be known for. We want to be known for pointing others to the compelling, the cleansing love of Jesus Christ. And the second thing we want to be known for is by how we love each other, how we are compelled, the consequences of Christ's love are seen in our service for each other and our love for one another. It says, you'll, you, they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. We, we want to be a church that's known for pointing people to the cross and, and pointing people to the consequences of the cross. Pointing people to Jesus and his cleansing power and then pointing people to the fact that because he loves us, we serve each other and that has consequences. It will compel people to see the love of Christ and it will draw people to him. I want to remind us daily of the cross, the place of Christ's ultimate love, that we need cleansing, that we are completely clean. And that maybe you're aware of sins and all you have to do is go and confess those. And he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Then also reminds us that we need to do washing ourselves, right? Not just of ourselves, but we're called to wash each other's feet. Now, now this... This is not, I, I don't believe this is actually an institution of an ordinance that in church we're meant to have a church service to wash each other's feet. That can be a nice symbol, um, but it, that, that's not the point. Jesus is saying this is, means something else. You're to lower yourself, humble yourself, and serve each other. The soap's meant to remind us that we need to think through how can we wash our fellow disciples' feet? How can we humble ourselves? How can we serve each other? Because Christ has served us. He's loved us to the end, and because he's loved us, let's love one another. Amen? Give him the band come up, and we'll, can we sing the first song that we sang this morning? I can't remember the title of that, but if we can close with that one instead this morning, that, that is such a wonderful picture of the effects of his love for us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for washing us. Thank you for laying aside your glory. Thank you for humbling yourself. Thank you for taking the form of a servant, for girding yourself with a towel. May we be people like that. May we be people of the towel, people who are servants. Jesus, thank you for washing us clean with your blood. May we be those who, who 
who seek to serve like you because of your great love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing.